in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. Thank you, brother. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth is uh, thankful that he has heard that some in the church have turned from uh, some sin that they were involved in. And uh, uh, their turning back to the Lord was obviously a powerful thing. And it was a a, a beam of light, a ray of joy in Paul's life uh, to read uh, or to hear about that that turning. And and he uh, uh, writes of that here in this this second letter that he writes to the church at Corinth here. And uh, before he had had rebuked them, and uh, some here had responded well, especially regarding this situation. And he writes... uh, uh, in verse 8 of, of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, he writes, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Verse 11, for behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, What vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all these things, you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for your spirit here with us. I thank you for the blood of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection that is our hope. And through faith in which we obtain salvation, dear God, as we call upon your name for forgiveness of sins. We thank you 
We praise you. I thank you for the word that's gone forth already in the adult Sunday school hour, the children's Sunday school hour, and help us to apply these things to our, our hearts and lives. And, and dear God, I ask for the filling of your spirit to minister the word to your people here today. I thank you for each one here with us, uh, both here uh, in this building and online. And uh, I, I pray you'd fill my dear wife with your spirit, fill those watching the children in the nursery with your spirit. And, and God, uh, may your word go forth. May your spirit uh, help uh, people to receive the message that you have for them. Grant that understanding, melt those hearts. And might we receive what you have for us. Lord, there may be some under the sound of this word this morning or the signing of this word that have never been saved. They don't know for sure if they're going to be in heaven when they die. I pray they get that settled today. Uh, Father, for all who have been saved, there are none of us perfect. And we all uh, will, it's your desire for us to all to grow more and more like Jesus Christ every day. And you can help us do that to the day we die or your return, if we will look to you for that. Father, do your work in your church here this morning uh, for our good and for your glory. We look to you and to your spirit, to your son. Father, we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul used a lot of adjectives to describe their repentance. It was a, an uplifting thing for him to recognize how they had repented regarding this certain issue. Um, the message will be, will be on those adjectives, and that part of the sermon actually will go rather quickly. So uh, uh, the outline won't come up until the sermon's probably more than half over, all right? So uh, just, just so you realize that. Uh, but... Uh, Have entitled the message this morning: A good standing through godly sorrow. A good standing through godly sorrow. The apostle Paul was a soldier uh, of uh, of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Get my pages right here. He was called to a continuous and sometimes almost overwhelming spiritual warfare. He expressed that earlier in this letter here, in, in 2 Corinthians 1.8. He writes, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. As he writes this letter to the Corinthians, he is writing from Macedonia. He's either in Philippi or Thessalonica. He has just come from Asia or Ephesus. Uh, and uh, so he, he refers back to there. He says, in the letter, he says, he says, we won't have any trouble which came to us in Asia. 
and now he's writing from Macedonia. He talks about the struggles that that, that come upon them daily. He, he, re, he wrote about that in this letter, not only in Asia, but everywhere they went to take the gospel. He talks about the, the apostles. He says how they labor, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often. And uh, he goes on to say all these struggles, he says, besides those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. You know, the Apostle Paul had planted uh, all these churches that we read about in the book of Acts. and He was not only laboring to start churches where he went and fighting off the enemies of the devil there and those who wanted to persecute Christians and such, but he was concerned about the growth of the churches that he'd already started. That they would continue to grow and, and, and be more like Jesus Christ. And continue to seek to want to live and please God. And so he was in the midst of spiritual warfare all the time. And uh, this, he's, he's in the midst of it he's write, as he's writing this letter uh, to the church at Corinth. This second letter here. But he says about these things in Acts 20, 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord to testify the gospel of the grace of God. God keeps me going. God keeps me preaching the truth. Because souls need to be saved. Lives need to be changed. The gospel is what does that. So he was faithful. Yet in the midst of these battles, the Apostle Paul, like all those who look to Jesus found the strength they need uh, uh, to continue on amidst difficult circumstances. The, Paul, apostle, the apostle Paul defined him, himself and the other apostles, their ministry, he says, they were as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. We need to learn to be that way. Because let me tell you, this life is never going to be without sorrow. You may think of the best day you've had in your life. And yet, you knew of someone that you loved was in sorrow. Or you had sorrow in some other aspect of your life. We are never without being in contact or relation or being affected by some kind of sorrow. And so one of the things I hope that we'll learn from this message is to learn to look for those things to rejoice at in the midst of our sorrow. Rejoice in the Lord always, by the way, is a command. Paul said, and again I say rejoice. And so we need to be looking for those things. By the way, they are there. I will guarantee you, regardless of your circumstances, God has been good to you and I in some way every single day of your life. Every single day of your life and of mine. And we need to look for those things and remember those things and rejoice in those things. Uh, Paul is writing these, uh, he, he's, 
He's encouraged the Corinthians that through faithfulness to Christ, they would find strength and comfort in him as well. He knew that being Christians, that they would have uh, sorrows as well. And here, here's what he said about that, 2 Corinthians 1, 7. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. When you suffer for Christ, you are also comforted by Christ. Paul had experienced that. And he knew his God, the promises of God. He knew that his God would comfort them as well. If they would suffer, if they were going to suffer for Christ. And so he gives them that, uh, that encouragement. Uh, there was quite a battle going on there while uh, Paul was writing he's in Macedonia but before he left Ephesus he found out about some problems in Corinth I'm diverting from your notes here now honey <clears throat> he he heard from a family, the house of Chloe, about some sins in the church at Corinth. He was going to be go, go see them shortly. He's, he, and, and, and he'd heard about some sins in that church. We know uh, what our Bible teaches. Uh, there was a case of incest that hadn't been dealt with. Second uh, Corinthians 5.1 It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife and he directed them how that ought to be taken care of in the church how they ought to deal with it lovingly but righteously there was an abuse of the communion supper as they would remember the Lord's death and resurrection. That's what communion does. Some people bought a big old meal and got ate, ate way too much and drank way too much. Other people, the poor people, just bought their dry piece of bread or whatever it was. And, 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 and Paul said, that's wrong. You're, that's not how you do the communion or the Lord's Supper. And he, he rebuked them regarding that. Some were denying the Apostle Paul's authority. Even denying that he was an apostle. Well, we're not too sure about you. You know, these other, you know, 11 were with him when he was at. You came along later there. They were so in doubt. Doubting the, doubting the Apostle Paul's authority. When he's the one that started the church there. He risked his life to plant that very church. And yet some were doubting the authority. And by the way, God had done miracles of healing through him as he preached the word. And some were still doubting that his word that he had seen the Lord Jesus, that he was an apostle called of Christ. Some were doubting. All kinds of problems in the church at Corinth. He's hearing about this while he's still ministering in Ephesus. He's, he's finishing up his, his uh, three-year ministry there. Must have been tough. Uh, and uh, he wants them to get right. It seems... Uh, uh, that sometime while he was in Ephesus there, he sent Timothy over to them. 
Brother Chris was talking this morning about how, how the Apostle Paul sent Timothy here and there. He was a servant who would serve God wherever uh, God would send him. 1 Corinthians 4.7, page 3 in your notes. 1 Corinthians 4.7, uh, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So in this first letter that he wrote of Corinthians, he says, I, I sent Timothy over, to, over there to you. By the way, in that letter, it had all, all those problems that he was addressing. He'd heard about that. Timothy probably took that, that, that letter over there to them. Sent him over there, okay? According to 2 Corinthians 13, 1, the Apostle Paul apparently had to make a quick trip over there himself. Ephesians was just across the Ephesus was just across the bay from Corinth there. Timothy goes over across the bay with a letter. Paul has to go over himself. He, he writes in, in 2 Corinthians 13:1, This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Now, if Paul says it's the third time I'm, I'm coming to you, if he's talking about all of his visits to the church at Corinth, three would be, the three visits would be, one, when he started the church on his uh, second missionary journey. Secondly, when he had to go over there from Ephesus and then uh, and come back to Ephesus. And then thirdly, when he... When he, when he leaves Macedonia, he plans on going, so that would be three. If he's just talking about the times he has come, he will come to address them about their problems. That would mean that he went over there twice from Ephesus. That's possible too. We, he, was, he was in Ephesus three years. We don't, we don't, and it was, it was just across the bay. Anyway, he writes addressing that this, this is a problem. He, he, sent, he sent Timothy. By the way, we would also read uh, that uh, he sent Titus over there as well at one point. When he uh, leaves Ephesus, he stays in Troas for a while, and he hoped to see Titus. But he wasn't there. He wasn't back from apparently Corinth yet. Because when the Apostle Paul got to Macedonia to Philippi, Titus came and met him and gave him news about Corinth. There was quite a battle going on back and forth. It was very difficult. Uh, and uh, matter of fact, the Apostle Paul had some plans on his visit. He had originally uh, planned... <clears throat> I won't go there for sake of time. In 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 17, uh, he had originally planned to go from Ephesus to Corinth and then go north, then come back down to Corinth again and go back to Jerusalem. But because of all this going on, all these problems, by the way, which didn't get resolved on all those trips back and forth, by the way, some believe he may have wrote one or two more letters in between there too that we just don't have today. But because of all that work back and forth, those things didn't get resolved. 
And so Paul changed his plans. And instead of going to Corinth first, he goes up north through uh, to Troas and to, and, to, and to Macedonia. That way, he goes up to Philippi that way. We'll come back down to Corinth. That will give them more time, he hopes, to repent and get things right. It had already been a grievous visit that he had with them earlier from Ephesus. They, they, they weren't right with God, by the way, and they still didn't get right with God. And he didn't want to return. He's hoping to return with a more joyous visit and, and find them not grieved this time. Why? Because they've repented. That's what he's hoping for. So he goes the long way around doesn't, and, and gives them some more time. Change the course of his of his trip. He says in 2 Corinthians 1.23, Moreover, I call God for a record upon my soul that to spare you I came not as yet unto Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians 24.1, But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again unto you in heaviness. He'd already come to them at least once in heaviness. <laughs> I don't want to visit like that again. I'm hoping you're going to get these things right and yield. And then when I come next time, I'm going to find you're rejoicing in the Lord and, 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 thing, and things have gotten right. <clears throat> but he reminds them he's going to come again. Uh, he had changed those plans, by the way, before he left Ephesus. And obviously, even before he had changed his plans, even before he sent his first letter. Because 1 Corinthians 4, uh, he says, uh, he says he's, he's going he's gonna to come to them. He says he's going to come to them from Macedonia in that letter, actually the end of, the, end of, end of 1 Corinthians. He says, he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 4.14 I write not these things to shame you but as my beloved sons I warn you. 1 Corinthians 4.18 uh, Now some are puffed up as though I would, uh, as though I would not come, come to you but I will come to you shortly if the Lord will and will know not the speech of them that are puffed up but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. What will you that I shall come unto you with a rod or in love and in, in the spirit of meekness? So amidst all this difficult struggle, there was a lot of grief and sorrow. But there were some who repented with a godly sorrow. We just read, we just read about that. They became the silver lining in the storm cloud of discouragement that Paul must have been feeling at the same time. Once again, the apostle could say that he was what? As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. You see, uh, there were some that repented. Paul rejoiced in the direction of their repentance. He, was, he wrote about how he was thankful. He described their repentance. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. After a godly manner. They were made sorry toward God. By the way, this wasn't the whole church. 
It wasn't, didn't seem to be quite the revival, or, uh, quite, or, or quite the, uh, uh, the, uh, the strength that uh, the church at Thessalonica was demonstrating, as Brother Chris shared this morning. But a portion of them, at least, this portion here that he's talking about, had got things right. Matter of fact, in the letter of 2 Corinthians, if you read it, Paul still warns them about correcting problems that remain there when he gets there. He's not, he realizes all of his church isn't well yet. But thank God for this. Thank God for this. And you know what? Though 99.9% .9 of Christians forsake God, you and I don't have to, amen? There's a lot of Christians that won't live for God. That doesn't mean I, don't, that doesn't mean I can't, and that doesn't mean you can't, amen? See, every believer can live for God live for Christ that, it becomes a choice after you're born again before you're saved it's impossible because there's only one person who can live the Christian life and that's Jesus Christ in you that's the Holy Spirit in you none of us can live that ourselves God as we yield to him lives that through us but Paul rejoiced in this repentance uh, of, of these here uh, that they sorrowed uh, they sorrowed on, on, unto repentance and uh, they made sorry after a godly manner. Uh, some people are sorry because they got caught. You know, they, they went in, in their sin. Some people are sorry when their sin's addressed because they like their sin and they don't want to quit it. <laughs> Neither of those is true repentance. <laughs> These became sorry that they had offended God. And by the way, that they had offended God. God's messenger the apostle Paul because they had there was a closeness there the spirit inside believers there's a kindred spirit when you're when you're born again your family and they and and, and they were they, they were sorry about that uh, uh, Paul rejoiced in the in, in the direction of their, their repentance it was toward God secondly Paul rejoiced in the, the discernment of their repentance look what he says he says uh, uh, <clears throat> He says, I rejoice. He says that you, might, that, that you were made sorry uh, after uh, a godly man. You were made sorry uh, that you might receive damage by us in nothing. What is that talking about? You are made sorry that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Well, that word damage has the idea of, of suffering loss. Uh, to be affected with damage. Uh, in... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 3.15, uh, well, he says, oh, Paul is, has warned them, here's the sin that's going on. God loves you. Now, I've preached about this. Now, if you don't get right with God, what will happen? What, what does a loving parent do to a disobedient child? They chasten them, don't they? And these believers knew that if they didn't get things right, their loving father wasn't going to say, oh, well, that's okay. He was going to chasten them. So the Apostle Paul says, how do you want me to come to you this time? Does it have to be like the last time when I'm trying to rebuke you about your sin that you won't let go and you won't repent of? Or will I be able to come and find out that you've repented? Would you come? Would I come to you with a rod or in the spirit of meekness? 
and uh, uh, he's rejoicing. In, they, they realize trouble can come you know, if they don't repent. In 2 Corinthians 13, 2, uh, what does Paul write? He says, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 2, I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. That was a sorrowful meeting. Being absent now, I write to them heretofore which have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. I, I've loved you. I've given you the gospel. And you are still choosing to live in sin. I'm, if I, I, I've already rebuked you before that. I rebuked you in a visit. I rebuked you in the first letter that I sent you. I love you. I am praying for you. When I come again, I want to be done with the rebuking. But I will rebuke. I will come again with, uh, with a sword if I need to. Is what, is what he's saying there. When they repented, they know what they said. We, we, want to, we, we, we don't want to be chastened of God. <laughs> Here we are. We know that God loves us. We know what Christ God has done for us. And we're disobedient. Their repentance is that they don't want to receive what they would deserve if they continue. And they're hoping to avoid that damage. You see. Because God does chasten his own. God does chasten his own. Uh, that damage. Uh, uh, in, uh, it's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 3.15 when it talks about our losing of wars. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. Same word. Same Greek word as damage. But he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. You see, there was trouble going to come if they didn't obey God. And they didn't want to receive damage. The apostle Paul, uh, you need to get right or else. <laughs> That's what he was saying. Come or else, get, get these things right. Uh, so he says, I told you in 2 Corinthians 13 too, I told you before and foretell you now as if I were present the second time. Being absent now, I write unto them which heretofore have sinned and to all other. If I come again, I will not spare. I will deal with the issue. I'll deal with the issue. See, Paul had taught them the chastening of the Lord. Remember, in his first letter in 1 Corinthians, they were abusing the Lord's Supper. Some eating that big meal, others stuck with their moldy piece of bread, you know. And God said, That's, you're, not, you're not doing well. What did the Apostle Paul teach them about that? 1 Corinthians 11.30, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many what? Sleep. What did God do to chasten them for their disobedience? Many became weak, and sickly and many died they remember that Paul wrote it down in the first letter that he sent him and now he says by the way I'm coming again uh, I like living <laughs> you know there, there's a whole lot of there, there are a whole lot of sorrows in the world but I prefer life over you know over I, I'm actually not afraid of dying I'm just I'm afraid of the process of it okay and uh, we like living that's natural in us. And that was part of their heart. We want to get things right because we've seen God work. Paul has said God works that, these ways many times. And we've already been warned uh, multiple times by Paul. He's coming again. So when they repented, it's like, listen, we want to be as clear as we can be. This thing. We don't want to receive damage by Paul in anything. And that was uh, Paul. Uh, Paul, he rejoiced in their discernment. 
of their response. Now you're seeing. Now you're realizing uh, what's wise to do. <clears throat> By the way, don't we read about that in, in Revelations 2 and 3? In Revelation 2 and 3? What did Jesus say to the churches that were supposed to be walking with him and he commended those things that were right and he what rebuked and warned regarding those things which were wrong revelation 2 5 to the church at ephesus he jesus says remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else i will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place if this church in Ephesus, and this was late, this, would be, this is long after the Apostle Paul's time, the, the Apostle John wrote Revelation. This is decades after that. He says, if the church in Ephesus doesn't repent, God will, make, will see to it that it's not a church any longer. It will be removed out of its place. You see, God said, repent often or else. Repent or else. You read that all through Revelation 2 and 3 to those churches. What was it? Repent or else. Repent or else, I will do this. I will do that. Uh, <clears throat> listen to uh, Christ's warning to a uh, uh, to to to, uh, to the church at Pergamos. They were allowing a uh, a uh, woman to teach in the church who was a false teacher. Uh, and the Bible says in Revelation two twenty one, and I gave her space to repent of her fornication. And she repented not. Behold, I will cast her, that false prophetess, into a bed, and sick, a sickness bed perhaps, and then that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death. Those disciples who said, we'll follow her and not believe the truth, God says, I'm going to take them out. God is a, listen, God is love, and God is just. And he sacrifices neither of those in his character. He always, he, he, there's not a one of us in here that hasn't had, hasn't had more mercy from God than we deserve. Not a one of us. And so, he rejoices at their discernment in their repentance. Thirdly, Paul rejoiced in the diligence of their repentance. He says, but what, look at what carefulness it wrought in you. What carefulness, what does that word mean? Carefulness. Um, it's, the, it's, it's the idea of earnest in accomplishing, promoting, or striving after anything. Uh, haste. Uh, you see, when, they, when, when, when God, they finally let God get a hold of their heart, they, they read that letter uh, uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote. They remember his visit. You know what they said? We needed to get right, and we need to what? Get right now. Not like Pharaoh in Egypt, you know, when God sent all those frogs and Moses said, you want me to take them away? Pharaoh says, yeah, take them away, take them away. Moses says, when do you want me to take them away? Pharaoh said, ah, tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. No, God wants you and I to repent of our sins today. Amen. And he wants to be hasty, us to be hasty about it and be, to get right with him. Their, their repentance was full of diligence. That, that, that carefulness. Uh, uh, that it's the same word found in first in Second Corinthians nine two. Uh, one of the things the Church of Corinth had done well was they had a heart for giving, and uh, and they wanted to give in the offering that was going to the church at Jerusalem. And Paul wrote about them: "For I know the forwardness of your mind." Same word. 
Same word. Earnest haste. They were the first ones to give to the offering for it to go. They were already before everybody else. And according to uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote in the second letter, these people repented of their sin in the same way. They were hasty about it, diligent about it in their repentance. And the Apostle Paul uh, uh, was was uh, overjoyed in that. It brought joy. It brought joy to his heart. It was some of that uh, that rejoicing in the midst of sorrow. Fourthly, what do we see? Paul rejoiced in the, in the disgust of their repentance. For behold, this self same thing you sorrowed after a godly sort. What indignation it brought. What's that word mean? Well, it has the idea of irritation or vexation. And the idea is there was a wrenching of their own hearts that they would even allow this, this foothold of Satan. As they considered where they'd been, how they'd behaving, what Paul rebuked them about, in, probably in word and letter already. And they looked at it, now they said, Coming to godly repentance, finally they say, How could I have done that? How could I? it's disgusting? They were indignant of themselves and of their own sin. How could we have stayed away from God for so long? By the way, it's good to be with God, isn't it? It's good to be right with God. And only the blood of Christ can bring that as we keep we confess our sins before Him. Once you're saved, you're always saved. But you and I can be right, can be right and wrong with God just like that. Amen? And God wants us to be right with Him. He rejoiced in the disgust of their... They were disgusted as they thought about themselves. Proverbs 20, 17. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man. And the context is talking about a man who foolishly commits adultery. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Doesn't that sound fun? I read somewhere that the, that was one of the things that the Roman soldiers did to certain prisoners was fill, filling their mouth full of gravel and, 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 and you know, make their head. Can you imagine choking in gravel and sand and dirt and dust and not be able to breathe? Having your mouth full of gravel is a wearisome thing to, to try and imagine. Uh, talked about those who didn't listen to godly teachers if you don't listen to godly teachers Proverbs 5.11 and thou shalt mourn at the last when thy flesh and thy body are consumed and say how have I hated instruction and my heart I despise reproof and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers nor inclined mine ear to them that instructed me I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation assembly I was in the midst of God's people being tempted and, and, and I'm walking away I, I didn't listen to my instructors and I just about lost it completely before God's people before I turned back how could I have done that Huh. You know what Job said when God talked to him? I know that, that Job's problems didn't come because of any sin. The Bible tells us that. But we, do get, but we do pick up along the way that Job's attitude did go a little bit stray at some point during that trial. And when God revealed himself to Job, and, and know what Job said? Job 42.6 Wherefore 
I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. <laughs> I abhor the things that I've been insinuating maybe about you at times here, God, in my, mourn, in my groaning, in my moaning. Maybe I said more than I should have. Or not in the spirit that I, in the wrong spirit. I abhor myself, Job said. By the way, that was a, what seems the most righteous man on earth at the time anyway. You see, that, that was rejo- that's, part of that, that's part of that repentance. Number five, indignation. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way. Froward mouth do I hate. There's Job's quote uh, there. Number five, Paul rejoiced in the dread in their repentance. Behold, this self-same thing that you sorrowed after God in his heart. What fear! What fear it wrought! That fear means a dread of retribution. Has the idea of reverence also. That which strikes terror. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is really the love of God personified? He's the truth. He's the, he, he's the living truth. He's the he, he is God personified. He is God in the flesh. He's divine. Nobody loves you more than him. If, uh, but you know what? When you and I see him, there's going to be some fear in here. Because he's one with God. He is a divine being. He made you and I. According to Colossians it's going to be a fearful thing. Uh, I have electricity in my house. I love it. And you love electricity in your house too. But you know what? I would never stick a knife in, in, in the light socket or try to dig, get, my, get my toast out, uh, stuck in the toaster with a knife before, and, you know, while the toaster's plugged in. I wouldn't do that. You know why? Because I fear electricity. It has the power to take me out when I do wrong. Sound familiar? By the way, so does God. He decides when it's best for you and I to go. Our life is left here as believers to glorify his name. At some point, a believer may say in their heart, or a believer may come to a place in their life where they are no longer going to glorify God. They don't even know they're at that point. Neither does anybody else. But guess who does? God. And God seeing that point says, okay, time to come home. And the car accident happens. Or the heart attack. And and like I said, from the world view... They would say, oh, that was, that was a tragic accident or, or that was a terrible sickness that took him. No, it wasn't. It was God. The accident or the sickness was just what God used. Now, granted, not all accidents, not all sicknesses are chastings of God. We've already been there, okay. They're not all chastings of God. Some of them are. We won't know the, diff- we won't know the difference until we get up there, okay? And that's why we do right now, right? That's why we're going right now. Paul rejoiced in the dread of their repentance. They had that fear. That careful, careful. Am I going backwards? Paul rejoiced in the desire of their repentance. <clears throat> Here we go. 
behold the self same thing what vehement desire vehement desire and uh, that pretty much just defines itself they had a desire a, a vehement uh, uh, desire desire uh, longing to be right uh, desire to be right wanting to get things right number seven Paul rejoiced in the delight in their repentance look what he says he says uh, <clears throat> Paul rejoiced uh, he says that they, that they started after God said, behold what zeal was in your life and zeal is a desire also it's hopeful to do right and be right it's excitement of securing that right standing again before God excitement of mind ardor fervor spirit Can I, can I tell you something? And if you've been there, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you've been at a point in your life where everything's right with God, I'm not saying you're sinless. I'm saying that your sins are confessed. And you're not involved in any willful sin against God as far as you know. And as far as you know, you are willing, as the song says, I'll go where you want me to go, dear God. I'll do, what, I'll, 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 I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll be what you want me to be. If you've ever been there, you know there's no place like being there. If you've been in a place in your life where as far as you know, you are totally yielded to God. When you leave that place, you know it. When you're not there, you know it. Because there's no place like that place. And what these people were excited about was, when we repent, you know how long it takes you to get right with God? Quicker than that. It's just a heart confessing a sin to the Lord if you're a Christian Lord I'm sorry I want to be right with you guess what done done everything's right by the way his love never changed for you right Christians are behave and Christians misbehave God's love uh, doesn't change. God doesn't love a Christian more when they behave good. God doesn't love a Christian less when they behave bad because they're his children. Any more than you, if you're a good parent, love your children differently in regards to the way they behave. You think, you're better, you think God's any less than us? <laughs> no, his love is far more than us. You see, he rejoiced in that desire they had. That, and he rejoiced in that delight they had, looking forward to being right again, excitement of mind, ardor, fervor in that. Paul rejoiced. <clears throat> Let me just say this. In sin, the pleasure passeth, and the sorrow remains. But in repentance, the sorrow passes, and the pleasure abideth forever. God soon poureth the oil of gladness into the broken hearts. That's it.
a blessing. It's a blessing. <clears throat> God, he rejoiced when I think I messed up there. <clears throat> Revenge. Let me see what we got in the paper. He rejoiced that he says, Behold, what vengeance. He rejoiced in their repentance at, 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 at the, at the ven- at, or at the revenge. Behold, what revenge. And that word has the idea of, uh, uh, of meeting out of justice, doing just to all parties. That means if they were talking about this, this young man who had committed the incest, what they had to do was put him out of the church. Other friends of the church might have liked the ones, the ones that liked him. They liked them, they liked the church not dealing with the problem, you see. But the ones who had to take the right actions had to do what? Do it boldly. At maybe the expense of a loss of friends, family members being, at, being mad at you. The person, if they didn't repent, according to the Bible, were to be put out of the membership of the church. But then, when they did repent, as Paul will address later in this letter, they were to forgive him and bring him back in. You see, when someone's put out of the church, it's only because they have been dealt lovingly with. If the church does it the way the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, if the church does it that way, then they've been addressed lovingly. They've been met personally and individually by, by those who have, uh, uh, but their sin has become public knowledge. It's been brought to leaders of the church and, and they've already uh, visited them alone privately. They're praying with them, trying to get them to, to turn from that. They don't want to do that. And the Bible says they get put out. Then if they get, get put out and say, well, I, w- I went too far. I miss everybody. I should have got that thing right. And you know what the Bible says? Forgive them and bring them back in. Amen. Help them walk with God. Don't you, uh, don't you delay in that forgiveness. Christ forgave me, didn't he? He forgave you. God says, you bring them back in. Paul would encourage them to do the same thing. They had done that. They had performed that. So far, they had performed all the justice in the situation. In that, they became valiant for the truth. Valiant for the truth. And finally, uh, Paul rejoiced in the demonstration of their repentance. Demonstration of repentance. He said, "He says uh, here in Second Corinthians eight <clears throat> or seven. He says." Uh, They made themselves to be clear in the matter. And he says uh, uh, in end of verse 11, all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Earlier he said about clearing of yourselves, kind of the same idea. They had demonstrated this zealous repentance, this working of the Spirit, so that it wasn't any doubt between their actions and their attitudes that they'd gotten things right. It was very evident that their repentance was real by the actions that they boldly took and the apostle Paul uh, the apostle Paul rejoiced in that godly sorrow that leads to repentance godly sorrow is what leads to repentance therefore it is a sorrow that leads to a change of purpose of intention of action it is not the sorrow of idle tears. 
It is not crying by your bedside because once again you have failed. Nor it is a vain regret wishing things had never happened. Wishing you could live the moments again. No, that's not it. It's a change of purpose and intentions, a change of direction, a change of action. Repentance. Godly sorrow works these things. And that is the way God wants us to repent. Amen. We repent that way, just like the Apostle Paul said, I rejoice in this. He was full of the Spirit. You know, God rejoices when we repent that way. We just lay it all out to God. He'll, he'll, he'll make things right just like that. And we can be thankful, thankful for that. And by the way, we ought to be forgivers as such ourselves. Amen. Uh, I'm glad that when I go to God and fall on my face and I know I haven't, I've done something I shouldn't have done or I, or I failed to do something I should have done. When I go with sincere repentance, I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't say to me, well, I'm a little miffed. You know, come, come back to me a little while. You, know, you, you got me at a bad time. You won't find that in the Bible, folks. <laughs> it's not there. He ever liveth to make intercession for us, right? That's Jesus Christ, our high priest. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. When? Right now. Right now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today is a day that God wants people to get saved if they hear the gospel. And today is the day that God wants Christians to get right if the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin. Now is the accepted time. Now is the time for that. And thank God we can do that in our own hearts as we pray to God, trusting in the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And, and God, uh, I thank you that you have made a way through Jesus Christ for the world to be saved. Part of them may be one receiving this message this morning somewhere who needs to be saved. And Father, may we, in thanks, just Remember that you've shown us in your word, dear Lord, that all we need to do for that is, number one, realize we're sinners, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Number two, realize that sin would separate us from you. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and the Bible says death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's where sin would lead the whole world, because we've all sinned. But dear God, you also said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us. You said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You've said repent and believe the gospel. You've said salvation is the gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. So someone who's not saved, all they have to do is realize they are a sinner. You will forgive them. Believe that Jesus Christ, your son, died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And now 
He will freely forgive anybody who just comes to him. One man uh, prayed a prayer in the Bible, God be merciful to me, a sinner. If someone today, believing those things they've just heard, sought God in that same way, in true repentance, they'd be immediately saved. Father, I pray that maybe someone needs to just pray that prayer, God, I'm a sinner, and I'd be in hell without your forgiveness. I believe Christ died for me and rose again, your holy and precious son. As best I know how, I'm, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me and save me. Thank you, Jesus. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I claim that promise. I've done that. And Father, there may be believers here that they've already done that. They're already born again. But they're not right with you. They just need to confess that sin that you are laying, that you are pointing out in their heart right now. God, none of us know what it is. We don't, we don't know each other's hearts. But we can know our hearts with your help, and you do know our hearts. All they have to do is confess that sin for what it is. Wicked. All sins wicked. Whether it's a, what we might think is a little lie or or murdering someone, they're all both, it's all wicked in your sight. Confess it is wicked. Confess what it was specifically. Ask your forgiveness and grace to turn from it and, and not to fall into it again. And immediately it's done. And you will help them go forward. And they will be renewed and right in a right in a right relationship with you their standing and your love for them has never changed that's given to us in Christ Father I thank you please work by your Holy Spirit and by your word and, 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 and accomplish in hearts what you want to accomplish today God I pray that if decisions are made for salvation that people would let our church know write us a letter or come and tell someone in our church and Father, if there are believers, we can help in their walk with you that they'd come and let us know. And Father, that we can be a help to them in whatever way that we can. And Father, help us to be careful to thank you and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.